Hello, listeners. Welcome to our Sunnyside podcast, Questions and Responses. This is Pastor Susan. We're here on our final week of this series to answer and talk about and think about and ponder your questions. This is Pastor Joel. I'm excited that we've been able to do this for the last several weeks. Um, if there are further questions that come up for you in later sermons, of course, feel free to ask. Even though we don't have a podcast, I think both of us have really enjoyed getting to spend some time with these questions. And this may be, we may have a repeat occurrence of this somewhere in the future down the line. Um, but for now, this will be the last one of this, I don't know, season, this iteration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. During response. this Lent, as we just celebrated Easter and the joy of the resurrection, um, it's been so valuable to be able to hear your questions and have them submitted. And yeah, I echo, it's just appreciate the experience. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing your thoughts and your lives and your questions with us. Let's get into these questions. Our first question was a pretty straightforward one, and that's, what are the other times angels appear in the New Testament? Oh, I love it, right? Um, what a fun question to kick us off and even a neat question to kick us off on the final of the series um, because there are some really interesting places in Old and New Testament where we see angels appear in the lives of humans. Um, there is just this, you know, and even when you look at the world of art, there's this longstanding tradition and history of how angels are depicted, the way we imagine them, this amazing kind of bright light, the, the white presence, um, the, the first words, as you said in your sermon on Sunday of the angels that is, is you, you know, so often be not afraid, right? That when the angels in, uh, encounter humans, I think it is with awe and humility and this sense of um, grandeur that that humans kind of encounter the divine and something very sacred and with that is within the angels so there's something so intriguing and so beautiful and so glorious so when we think about other times they appear you know i think first about how they often accompany the the work in the person of jesus right so at jesus's mm -hmm. birth story which i think of the joy and the beauty of the angel who comes to Mary, you know, and telling Mary that she'd be pregnant and is pregnant. And, um, you know, I think about the kids who tell that story and all of our different children at Sunnyside and throughout the ages who have dressed up in the mm -hmm. angel costumes and been able to celebrate the joy of Jesus' birth. Um, I think about the temptation story and Jesus, as he begins his call to ministry, going into the desert and um, is accompanied there by an angel who um, who cares for him and is with him in the desert. And then um, at the moment of resurrection, right, as each of the, uh, when the women come to the tomb and they encounter, as the gospel show us, they encounter the empty tomb mm -hmm. and see this white, glorious, bright light in the sacred presence of an angel who declares to them um, that the tomb is empty, that he is risen, and mm -hmm. um, go and tell the, the disciples. So, I think, yeah, lots, lots of times around the life and the character of Jesus um, for, for his parents, for Mary, and even for Joseph, right? Yeah, Three different times right. angels come to Joseph while Mary is pregnant to, to proclaim and to remind and to assure Joseph of um, the, the heavenly mm. nature and the heavenly purpose of this child that Mary holds. 
you'd mentioned that there's also some appearances of angels in the Old Testament, even though the question doesn't, doesn't hit on that. But we have um, uh, the angel of the Lord as a recurring mm. character in the Old Testament, which some scholars think is the pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ, somehow appearing before coming to earth as a human being. Um, even in Exodus, you have this weird interaction with the burning bush that's both the Lord speaking and also like the angel of the Lord being there, it's, uh, which, is, which is kind of fun to play with that. Um, you've got the messengers who come to see Abraham and, and Sarah in Genesis, I think it's 15, um, uh, right before the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. But then there are other places in the New Testament as well. Um, that, uh, you know, the book of Revelation is chock full of angel imagery mm -hmm. and depicts them as different than many of our uh, artists do. Um, they're, they're a little bit more alien than like the cherub babies mm -hmm. that they often mm -hmm. get rendered as. Um, but then there's also a handful of times throughout the Acts of the Apostles um, that angels show up and support the church and her work through mm -hmm. uh, spreading the gospel in some ways. Um, I know you you had a couple in mind uh, from the Acts of the Apostles, and, and I've got a couple too. Um, I think that mine are later on, but yeah. well, you know, just very early, right? Mm. As the disciples in the first in the first chapter of Acts, as the disciples are watching Jesus ascend into heaven, mm. it is it is the angel of the Lord who comes who, who proclaims, right? That you know, why are you looking up into the heavens? Like, go and tell the story, uh, and sends the apostles on their way. And then it is uh, an angel again who comes to the apostles um, to really to aid them when they are set free from prison mm -hmm. uh, and are, are, you know, the doors are opened and the guards are astounded and, the, and they're set free. Which is kind of funny because the angel does that again just mm -hmm. a few chapters later in Acts 12 when Peter is in prison. It's like the angel um, uh, who, who releases Peter is suggesting to Peter, your work here is not done. There's still work that God has planned for you. Mm -hmm. And that's um, there, there are a couple other times before that happens where um, Philip, one of the early church deacons, is told by an angel to go follow this uh, Ethiopian in, in, in a, yeah, yeah, some sort of chariot or, or cart as he's coming back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. And it's because of Philip, this Ethiopian mm -hmm. is baptized and he's like a court official in the court of the Ethiopian queen and ends up, there's this long history of uh, the Ethiopian, I think, Coptic church that traces itself all the way back to Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. And um, the angel was sort of the, the spark plug, the catalyst that, that allowed for that. And then again, in Acts 10, uh, there's this angel that appears to the general Cornelius Cornelius and his family are not Jewish, they're Gentiles. And it took really the act of God for these faithful Jews who were the disciples of Jesus to go out of their way and evangelize to non-Jews. And this act of the angel appearing to Cornelius and then a vision that Peter got from God uh, was what sparked the Holy Spirit coming down and indwelling these Gentiles who the apostles may have thought weren't part of this whole deal. Mm. And yet we have an angel to thank that we too can consider mm. Jesus as our Lord. Yeah. So they play an interesting role that they're, you know, um, kind of in the mix, right? That uh -huh. they're opening doors, they're guiding the message, they're charging us to go beyond boundaries that we might have otherwise, places where we might have stopped. They lead the way and, um, and invite us into new horizons. 
and um, are there at, at many really also difficult times of life. Right? Mm. I think about even again, this is going back to the Old Testament, but I love the Psalm that says, and he will give his angels charge over you uh, and in different places you know, that again, it's that very intimate encounter mm. that there is a very kind of hands-on, very proximate to the human population that angels play this very close role, like that they will um, be our guides or they will give us messages. They mm. will surround us and, and hold us in difficult places and in all places. I love it. Um, to try to sum up, the there's there's this long history of angels being depicted in art. I think that just as angels are fascinated with Jesus, I think that mm. we too are kind of fascinated mm. with angels, these mm. uh, creatures that both strike fear and joy into our hearts. Um, the angels often accompany Jesus and are uh, at the they they hang out at the crossroads of difficult situations um, where. I think of in Lord of the Rings, Gandalf talking about mm -hmm. the fellowship balances on the edge of a knife and angels show up when that happens to tip us in the way that we need to go, um, that they open doors, they lead us through difficult times. There's this passage in, in Hebrews that talks about how we uh, sometimes entertain angels unaware um, and offer hospitality to folks who are sent from God. And I wonder if there's a, a welcoming the stranger aspect mm -hmm. when Absolutely. the angels show up too. I, I, I love that. I do too. Our, uh, our second question, um, there's, it was a long question and I tried to rework it. So if this was your question, please let me know if I reworked it in a fair and, and, and just way. Um, but this person is saying that they are confused about the Trinity. Me too, sometimes. <laughs> um, but they're confused about the Trinity. There are so many places in the Bible where Jesus and God seem to be separate. Like when Jesus is asking God for guidance in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, depending on your translation, something like, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's the thy will be done passage. But at the same time, there are other places in Scripture that say God is Jesus and Jesus is God. Like the Father and I are one from uh, John's Gospel. With all this, how do we make sense of the Trinity? Mm -hmm. And I very strategically spoke that question. So you get to answer <laughs> That's so great. Thank you, Pastor Joel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I would also, I think, begin by saying, by asking this question and trying to step into this mystery, mm. we step into a great company of, of saints that mm. throughout all history, this has been one of the defining questions that defines what, in fact, is the Christian church and what is a sectarian movement. Um, and the early church for, for several hundred years really had to wrestle with this question. Was Jesus a prophet? Was Jesus divine? And if Jesus was the Messiah, sent from God and God, what does that mean? Right. Mm -hmm. And then what does it mean that, that Jesus said, I and the father are one and I am sending the spirit to be your comforter. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and what role does, you know, what role is the spirit in the person of the Godhead? So, um, so yeah, I think I'd start by saying, you know, going back to some of our, our earliest creeds and confessions of faith, these this is one of these central questions. And so just coming coming mm. back to that is is really critical, I think. Mm. But uh, you know, along with again the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, um, you know, 
the Trinity is affirming that there throughout our scriptures and our the narrative of of our um, the narrative of our faith history, there are places where it is the case there is the distinction between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They are distinct entities, and they are often pointing to the concert of acting mm. in unity and as one, which again, really makes no sense. There are not other, um, other things like that in our world today. And yet through faith, we take this, um, each of those kind of proclamations of faith as, as the distinctions are identified and hold, and then hold in faith mystery that there is a divinity that we are made in this divine mm. image. And I, one thing I will add to that too, is I find it really helpful to think about the fact that as father, son, and Holy spirit exist all in relationship with one another, we are made in God's image of Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship with each other. So we as as individuals are made to be part of a community. Mm. So it's sort of part of our um, human DNA made in this mirror image of God that we would also be growing and learning and and really deeply connected in the in a relational way. Yeah, I, I love that explanation of how we need to be part of a community um, because we're made in God's image. I had a theology professor who would tell me once that, uh, or he, he told the class that the Trinity is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be adored. Mm. And that's like, yep. that's where I would want to stand <laughs> yep. on um, mm -hmm. because to try, I think that he also said to try and understand the Trinity is lunacy. Mm. Thank you. Not to try <laughs> to understand the Trinity yes. is heresy. Mm. So we're kind of caught between Ooh, a rock and a hard place. Yes, that's a great. And that's, and that's why it took like hundreds of years for the church to begin churning through this question and got to a point that was almost not understandable where we worship one God in essence, but who manifests in three persons. What does it mean to have one essence in three persons? I, I, I do like how St. Augustine put it, where he suggests that the Trinity is like the lover, a beloved and love itself mm -hmm. that holds the two together and suggests that the Holy Spirit is the incarnation of the relationship between the father and the son, just as love itself mm -hmm. describes the relationship between a lover and a beloved. And I think that's a neat way of understanding the Trinity. Mm -hmm. It points to uh, both the, the idea that being made in the image of God, it is not good for human to be alone, mm -hmm. um, that we are made to be both individuals and also in community. I think that, that that both and nature of the Trinity also like names the different ways that we organize ourselves in church polity, mm. where you're going to find some churches like the Roman Catholic Church that have uh, an individual that oversees an individual individual priest that oversees a parish and then an individual bishop that oversees sort of a set of parishes. Um, I don't know what they're called. Um, a bishopric. <laughs> I don't know. But then you've got the, the individual Pope who sort of oversees the Cardinals and so on and so forth versus Presbyterian, our system where we've got a committee of people that oversee stuff at each level. And both of these say something about the God in whose image we were made, mm -hmm. that there's both a unity and a plurality around that. I'll say one more thing about that um, and then pass the baton back to you. Um, if we do say that our God is a God of love, love without 
something that is loved, and this is getting back into the weeds of Augustine, you, you can't love without a subject and an object, I don't think. It, love requires multiplicity. Mm. Uh, an individual, uh, that, it, it's hard to love with an individual uh, without anywhere for that love to go. And so if we believe that God is a God of love, it kind of forces our hand uh, that you've got multiple God, and, you know, and then the, the, the son here with Jesus who is, who is loved of God. Um, but then we also hold to the Jewish tradition, um, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is how the Shema opens. It's uh, this great idea in Deuteronomy 6. So if we believe God to be one, well, we're, we're, that kind of puts us in this hard place. It's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, I you know, I think too, speaking of believing God is one, you know, that's something that really was distinct in the Old Testament times that the um, plurality of gods was such a common, it was so commonplace and it was so unique for the Hebrew people to have one God. Um, they were, they really stood out as different because of that, uh, uh, not having a polytheism, uh, a, a faith of polytheism. And, uh, you know, so I think it's really significant in that way to hold hold to the centrality of there is one God, just as, you know, even as we look in the Old Testament and scholars have pointed to places in Genesis and places throughout the Old Testament where there are kind of shadows, you might say, of what we think was the spirit and places where we think, you know, that we can point to and say, here's a place where Christ was present in creation. Uh, And um, so we can look back with that insight, having now the knowledge and ability to hear the witness and the testimony to the person of Christ having lived. So we see that the importance of, of one God and Jesus affirming that I think is very important as a Jew that he affirmed mm-hmm. there is one God and yet his own claims that um, he, that the father and I are one and him pointing also to the spirit who would come after him as, as divine as well. So Again, I love the, your opening comments that um, it's to ignore it is to lean into heresy and to understand it as lunacy because it doesn't make sense. It is it is a claim of faith. And I think there are scriptural cues that point us to, to the reality and the force and, of holding all of this intention and, and accepting and celebrating the mystery of it. One way that is somewhat helpful for me as like a mnemonic uh, device to think about the Trinity is it is both Mm -hmm. one plus one plus one and one times one times Mm -hmm. one. Um, And that's just like, it's a, it's, I I don't think that that says necessarily anything theologically about arithmetic, (laughs) (laughs) but it's helpful just as like a baseline Mm -hmm. that we do have this way intuitively to make both one and three Mm -hmm. um, with the same symbols. Um, so that that can be helpful. That is helpful. I think that, um, we, we, to to summarize this before we do maybe one more, uh, question that was asked of me at the brunch on Easter, um, to summarize, this is a primary question of our faith. This is how we negotiate between traditional Christianity and what you said, I think sectarianism. Um, the Trinity is one of those benchmark things, which like you'd think we would have chosen an easier (laughs) benchmark thing, right? 
Um, but we are in the midst of a great cloud of witnesses here and trying to understand it. Um, and there's this idea of being made in God's image that we need individuals and relationships at the same time. It traces uh, some of the ideas that we have around the Trinity trace back to Augustine. Um, it relates to how we structure our churches. Um, and and it's, it's really good. We can't just go to tritheism where we've got Jesus and God and, and, and the Holy Spirit as three different gods because of this tradition, the centrality of one God that we have received from our, our Jewish forebears. Um, and that's important to have that centrality. The, the final bonus question was one I was asked, uh, as I mentioned, at the Easter brunch prior to worship. We were talking about resurrection, uh, and uh, it was put to me like, there were two things that were put to me and you can glom on to whichever one kind of feels good to you, Pastor Susan, but like what body uh, will we have? Will it be this body that we inhabit right now in the resurrection? And also there was the question put to me about animals and will animals join us in heaven? Mm. Um, and you can go whichever one you want mm. and I'll take the other. Mm. So there are, yeah, those are so interesting, right? And when we look at Revelation, um, which is one of the places where we read most about kind of the heavenly existence and what it will be like, um, I mean, there are very distinct descriptions of what the heavenly streets will look like and what the heavenly beings will look like and the, the role of God and the place of worship and the centrality of worship in our in our heavenly being Um and attire there. It's very glamorous in a lot of ways, right? And very um, kind of luxurious mm -hmm. and intended, I think, you know, Revelations was written to a people who was heavily persecuted. Being, there were martyrs and um, meant to be a word of inspiration and also a word kind of cloaked to help people mm -hmm. understand, hey, the people, the Romans who are persecuting you, um, you know, they, they are the enemy of our faith, but there, it was meant to be a word of hearty encouragement that to help them continue on in their faith. So what all, all of that is a kind of precursor. What will, what will our bodies be like? Where will the animals be? Boy, see, again, I think I land in the place of mystery. So mm -hmm. scripture and Paul talk about um, the resurrection of our bodies, that our actual right. bodies will um, be raised. Mm -hmm. uh, so what does that mean to the process of cremation? What does that mean to the recognition of um, our family and our friends upon, uh, upon the next, you know, upon this day of resurrection and after the day of judgment? That is hard. And mm -hmm. I, I think I, I think actually I lean into the spot of saying, you know, Will we will be there? Of that, I am confident. Um, Revelation does say also that it will be a new. We will be on the earth. It will be a new earth, but the earth will be restored, mm -hmm. and um, that feels very comfortable to make mm -hmm. that profession of faith. But I, I don't know that it will matter. To, mm -hmm. Is the, I think ultimately where I stand. I don't know that it will matter if my body is young or old. Um, even I, I don't know that it will matter the level of ability or individuality that we experience in heaven, because I really think ultimately we will be so consumed with the beauty of God and a place where there are no more tears and pain is no more and the joy of, of goodness 
I think that's what will fill our souls mm-hmm. is the worship of God and the, the joy that, um, that fills this existence. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that is a really impressive answer. I, you, you all don't know this who are listening, but this was a question that uh, Pastor Susan did not hear until right before we hit record. Um, and um, I, I think that that's a better answer than I would have given having like chewed on this for the last couple of days. Um, I, I, I think both of these are really hard questions and um, I, I, Happy to speak to the one about animals real briefly. You can take them both. Um, <laughs> I'll try to take them both. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think there is this promise of a new heaven and a new earth, and I would want to hang out there, and I would want to hang out with that idea of new creation, that God didn't, like, do creation halfway the first time, and I wouldn't expect God to do creation halfway the second. Um and, and I think the same goes for, for our bodies. We are, it's suggested that we currently have um, terrestrial bodies in 1 Corinthians 15, I think it is. And then we will have celestial or heavenly bodies. There's a whole doctrine with this that our friends, um, that the Mormons have that, that I don't know that I would sign up for. Uh, but I, I do think that there's going to be something different. Jesus came back after the resurrection with a body where the disciples recognized him. And yet he could walk through walls. Like, like there's something cool there. Yeah, there's that's something right. that's going to be a little that's different. Right. So yeah. um, I do think that this idea, this underlying idea of being consumed with the beauty of God mm. is spot on. Mm. Yeah, it's. I think sometimes in, um, I'm trying to remember who the, um, who wrote this. I think it was a, a Guthrie is the author of this, but mm. who said, I don't know what, will be in the next life, but I do know who will mm. be in the next life. And that is the one who's walked with me all the days of my life. Mm. And I think that's ultimately kind of what is my statement of faith. Mm-hmm. I'm much less concerned about the what, and I feel confident in the who. Mm. It's a great place to end it. Thank you for that word of encouragement. Mm-hmm. Thank you, dear listeners. Um, Thank you for walking with us through these questions and responses. And we're looking forward to uh, continuing to see you in worship and continuing to look through questions that you have. It's been a great time. Pastor Joel, thanks for all of your conversation and your insight and your logic and your apt ability to teach and and have great conversations. So it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, Pastor Joel. Until next time. Talk to you then.